Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 70, our acro ailerons right for you. So Sonics aircraft has always been known for light and responsive handling, but sometimes you just want more. For pilots wanting even more roll control, Sonics offers the acro aileron option. So we'll describe the modifications necessary, the pros and the cons of using those, and then help answer the question of whether that is right for you. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic 1374, and we got pretty much the whole gang back here. We got John Gillis, we got Gary Motley, and we got Mike Needenthal. So you guys all know these cats. John is an experienced Sonics builder. He's a glider pilot. And uh, John, uh, are you uh, are you giving back up for Antarctica, or are you just uh, teleworking to uh, to the McMurdo Station? You know, we're uh, <clears throat> we pulled everybody off station. We finally got everybody off during this. Uh, this coronavirus thing, that was quite a challenge to get everybody liberated before the winter set in. Um, no, I'm not going down and I, uh, I'm not scheduled to go down next year. Um, unless, you know, where there's a slot that opens up. So yeah, we're, uh, we're, uh, keeping Antarctica coronavirus free right now. So hey, John, we're, we're, we're 100%. That could be really bad. Cause after you get selected to go down there, they're like, Hey, we got to be triply sure. So three weeks in quarantine and you sit in a shipping container and then they let you go into the station. That's kind of what it is right now. Uh, and unluckily, you know, these guys that are down there, they actually want to stay down there because it's uglier up here. And they're going to restart human civilization, you know, after the virus wipes us out. So we need somebody and protect it. Yeah, we're uh, we're looking at the uh, the physical characteristics of a lot of those people because they're going to probably be repopulating the U.S. <laughs> or the uh, the human population, and it's not going to be pretty. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, we know they're going to deal well with isolation, so that's one plus in their favor. All right. Well, next up, Gary Motley. Gary is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, what's going on over there? Well, pretty much the same thing as everybody else. You know, I, I'm unfortunately not sequestered at home. I happen to be, I guess, one of those semi-essential personnel as a registered nurse. So I'm still out there making my house calls as usual, doing a lot of wound care, medications, and all that kind of good stuff. But hopefully, unfortunately, I've not run across anybody with a COVID-19 yet, so that's a plus. Yeah, no, Gary, um, you know, you're going to your clients, your patients' houses. What kind of precautions are you having to take? Well, you know, the medical personnel, we always use something called universal precautions, which means we're, we're pretty cautious anyway with what we're touching and what we're doing. Uh, we're basically just having to add in the respiratory component a little bit more so than we might normally do. So at this point in time, I'm just basically using, you know, an N95 style mask uh, whenever I go in to see patients. And I actually use that anytime I go anywhere where I have a population, whether I have to go to the gas station, grocery store, whatever it happens to be. Uh, just to try to reduce the chances that I might acquire something and, and pass it along during the incubation times to uh, some of the elderly that I see. So, uh, you know, if I'm outside running around the house and, and next to anybody, I'm pretty much masked up. Yeah, I guess that's something that you have to worry about that most of us don't. You know, you 
are coming in contact with um, the highest risk population out there. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, they can be at times. Hopefully, uh, it'll just be more of the same, um, some minor disruption, but nothing that's going to directly affect you. No, actually, you know, as far as my day-to-day work, I mean, it's with the traffic being so much lighter now, it, it decreases my uh, my workday probably 25% now, just not having to deal with quite so much traffic congestion. So that's been a pleasant plus for me. Yeah, always a silver lining. So have you uh, taken any time off to get a little bit of, uh, I should say, warm up the oil in the uh, cruiser? Oh, sure. You know, the social isolation thing, and there's there's always some differences of opinions on this. Uh, but basically, it doesn't mean, you know, my, my perspective it is it doesn't mean you actually have to stay sequestered in a single room as like a jail cell. What you really try to do is protect yourself and others from potential risk and transmission of disease. And that can be accomplished a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, recreation can still be a viable component to your daily life. You know, out walking your dog is, for example, riding your bicycle, riding a motorcycle. You know, if you're flying by yourself somewhere, you know, you, you really are, are, are creating very little additional risk. We've heard some reports, and I've seen some things online in various uh, forums talking about doing any kind of activities outside, like flying or motorcycle riding or bicycle riding, as being somewhat selfish, thinking that, you know, perhaps if you have an accident, uh, that's going to require more medical personnel help take care of you. And, you know, that is a potential source, you know, but in every part of our day-to-day lives, no matter what we're doing, we're always doing a risk evaluation. So if we tend to do this kind of activities, we might want to think about perhaps, you know, not quite going so fast, not quite being such a daredevil. But, you know, you could certainly just, <laughs> as as a prime example, you can slip down your stairs and, and, and completely rip your quad tendon off your patella or your kneecap like I did last year, which has nothing to do with going outside. So there's always that kind of potential. Uh, but my personal opinion is if people are taking reasonable cautions and doing reasonable activities, uh, I don't see any reason why they can't uh, have some psychological peace of mind and, uh, you know, try to try to enjoy what life we can under these circumstances. I think that's a good balanced kind of approach. You know, you got to have something to motivate you and get you out of bed in the morning. Um, you don't want to be haphazard and careless about it, but you got to do something to continue living. I, I, that's my opinion. I'm not yeah, I'm plus, sticking to it. I think I saw on the internet, Gary, that um, you know, uh, carbon monoxide, tetraethyl lead, and um, you know, petroleum hydrocarbon combustion byproducts are, are lethal to the virus, and so we can we can help spread the cure in the upper atmosphere. Sure, sure. <laughs> but I did get to fly about an hour or so last Sunday. Uh, I went up. It was absolutely glass smooth, very peaceful, and. As I've always said on many podcasts, you know, that's kind of like my Zen, my, my, my yoga, my meditation is actually to fly. You know, some people consider this as being, a, you know, a fearful activity and fraught with hazards and they're anxious and sweating and tightly fisted all the time. But, you know, if I had to do one thing to calm my psyche, it would be pretty much to go flying. Yeah, I agree. You know, Jeff, though, you know, with Mike being kind of grounded and i don't see too many jets flying around with contrails you know all those <laughs> antivirals that they've been putting in the in the uh the contrails i mean is that really affecting us 
<laughs> I, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, we're going to have to, you know, freak some Mike of those seeding the atmosphere. Sites. Yeah, there you yeah. go. <clears throat> the cam, the cam trail conspiracy, right? There you go. Well, you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to paint targets on ourselves, um, you know. So uh, we're just going to let that one kind of, you know, set aside for another day here. But speaking of that, Mike Needenthal is our resident airline expert being a captain for a major airline. So, Mike, uh, first off, are you getting any Sonics flying in, and uh, are you getting any work flying in? Uh, yeah, I, I am getting some Sonics flying in. I just flew, uh, like I said, Gary flew. I think I flew the same day Gary did. I flew Saturday. So uh, I got to fly for about 25, 30 minutes and just did the same thing as him. It was perfect day. It was no wind, and it was uh, nobody at the airport. So I, I was totally self uh you know, keeping my distance from everyone. I saw some guys that were flying uh, in a local area, but they were all in other airplanes, you know? So, uh, and all the businesses down there, my, I'm in Boulder city and all the businesses down there are shut down all the helicopter operators. So it was actually quite pleasant to go out and fly because there was nobody else out there, but just a few of us guys, right. you know? So, so I've got to do that. And then, uh, you know, I've been working off and on, but I've been trying to keep my footprint lower, uh, just doing like maybe some day trips, uh, the last, this past week. And then, uh, of course I played a little hooky yesterday, uh, just because, uh, just because it was supposed to be a four day trip with some, uh, kind of, uh, you know, like new Orleans, Tampa, San Francisco overnights in it. I thought, well, you know, that's might be a little bit, uh, I kind of pick and choose where I want to go. So I thought, well, I'm not going to go there. So it's, just keep the footprint lower, you know, so of a possible exposure. Although there's nobody in the airports, there's nobody on the airplanes. I mean, you know, it's just part of. Yeah. No, yeah. Mike, when you say there's nobody on the airplane, is that like once or twice you have a flight that's not very full? Or are you talking about like every flight you take recently is only had a handful of people? Uh, pretty much every flight. I mean, I know they're hauling freight and they, and they're hauling, you know, uh, of course our CEO, he thinks he's, but he's telling everybody that we're, you know, you have to keep the company, you know, the country moving. So, so besides UPS and federal FedEx and so forth, we actually move some of these testing materials and we actually move some of the, the, the medical supplies and things like that in the belly of the airplane. So even if we don't have passengers, we, there's still as a, a need for, for things to get places at a certain time frame. you know, without calling out all the corporate jets and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that's kind of his plan. Plus, the uh, we talked about that earlier. The uh, the maintenance is kind of a thing where uh, if these airplanes are down for three or four or five six days, it's a big big challenge. Uh, it's it's another it's another that much time to get them back up to speed to get them with all their checks and and so forth. So they're trying to keep the faucet on just a trickle. You know what I mean? And kind of just keep kind. They're shifting airplanes around so they all get like a leg or two a day. You know. Just to keep them in the system. So just I park there. Mike is get the airplanes. Is that due to because they they cool down and it's a problem or what is it? Uh, you know what I, I think it's part of the progressive uh, uh, inspection program that we're under. I think it's because the longer things go and things aren't checked, you know, then you have to do all that. It's like retro. You have to all come back and start that all up from the day it stopped flying. So. I think it's it's a it's mainly a progressive maintenance program that, that gets interrupted is part of the problem. And it's 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 way more. It's a big deal because we don't have enough mechanics. They're working like, you know, double shifts and stuff like that to, to bring some to bring an airline back up to speed. 
uh, if they'd actually shut everything down. I actually flew one over to a week or so ago. I flew, I did fly one from Vegas over here to uh, Victorville, California, which is where we park a lot of them. And uh, we're parking 50 to 60 jets uh, of the older ones, the older 700s that we have, which are the smaller ones. And uh, so I actually flew one over there and then rent my uh, the guy I was with me rented a car and drove back. So uh, it was interesting. I mean, I, I've, I've been over there before on charter flights, but it was actually interesting to see it during the daytime. And that place is just just covered i mean with airplanes i mean they're barely almost you barely have taxiway and one runway open and everything else is is closed and and uh off limits and you can't taxi down there no mike that's not a boneyard that's just like a storage lot isn't it correct correct yeah that's a storage facility so it i think if they're there i've saw a lot of them with uh, no engines and so forth so there's a lot of older older airplanes like 727s and and uh like md80s dc9s that have been there for for quite some time and, and they start i think they start cannibalizing them at a certain point in time but uh, or uh, you know starting to cut them apart but uh but basically basically uh, all the stuff there is just for temporary storage yeah mostly of it so yeah it's pretty scary never seen anything like it like that so i suppose there's a business calculus at work here you know you can lose money flying an empty airplane of people or you can lose money doing all the maintenance that from it sitting and i guess there's a a way to figure out where the sweet spot is. Yeah. I mean, our guys plus, plus uh, I'm in a good company where they have pretty deep pockets and uh, I think they're trying to weather this thing out without having to, so they don't want to get too far behind the power curve because when everything goes the other direction, they want to be on the leading edge of the wing. So the leading edge of the wave, so to speak, uh, as far as ramp up time goes, so we can get back up there and, and grab some of the market share back, you know, before, and the other guys are going way back behind the power curve. I mean, you know, like the other majors are parking like 80 or 90 percent of their airplanes right now. So uh, it like you've seen everybody's seen pictures of them on the Internet, you know, so it's. Yeah. And Mike, um, you know, a lot of discretionary travel has all just been canceled. But oh, sure. There's some non-discretionary that didn't really get canceled. It's going to have to get done sooner or later. It's just, you know, kind of going to get slid to the right and there'll be a big backlog that will have to be satisfied. Oh, yeah, of course. And then, you know, of course, and then like I'm in Las Vegas. So basically nobody comes here unless you probably live here or you have business here because, I mean, the whole strip shut down. All the casinos are shut down. All the essential businesses are shut down. Um, we're not we're not like a, a state officially a, a shelter in place, but we're a you know kind of like they want you to stay at home kind of thing. Uh, that's why I can sneak down to the airport and go do flying or whatever. And uh, but it's it's getting to that point where and there's only about uh, I just saw the news before I came in here. Uh, right now there's about six hundred about seven hundred people in the whole state of Nevada that are that's affected. And about like 25 or 30 deaths. So uh, it's relatively, we're way down the list as far as, because in part of it's because the, the governor shut shut the whole state down. You know, that's part of it, I think. So. Mm-hmm. To keep people from coming here, you know, so to speak. Right. Jeff, um, the president has called up the Ready Reserve. Does that impact you at all? Not me directly. But what what they've done is they've gotten special authorization to recall uh, high demand jobs, so medical professionals and things like that, 
And these are people that have gotten out of the army or they've gone into the inactive reserve or they've retired and they um, they have volunteered to come back to meet the demand for these medical professionals. So it's all completely voluntary, but, you know, you have to turn on certain taps of money that can uh, authorize and pay for these things. And that's what he's done. So there is not like a general across the board recall. They're not deploying troops to, uh, you know, to enforce um, quarantines or anything like that. Uh, that doesn't mean that there won't be some specific missions that the military will support. You know, typically any kind of disaster, you're going to need communications, you're going to need transportation, you need logistics support, aviation support, medical support, you know, stuff like that. So there may be some some specific cases where the military is called up to do that, either in the guard side or the active duty reserve side. But at this point, none of that is really, you know, going on. And I don't I don't see that happening just yet. Um, I think things would have to get a lot worse because, again, you know, the military is the is the branch that you turn to when things get really bad. But there's a big cost. You know, it's very disruptive to military, their training schedules. Um, it it has an impact and a cost that has to be met. And so you look to other ways to address that need before you go to the army. So, Well, Jeff, just as a sideline, you know, we, we privately had spoken about uh, logistics in the Army Corps of Engineers looking for I put the term, you know, starting to establish some some mash of the mobile army surgical hospital units, and uh, surprisingly, a buddy of mine says he he noticed some uh, army guys at one of our closed uh, hospitals, you know, scouting out the area here just last week as well, you know, in that vein and that that line of thought. Right, right. See, what the Army Corps of Engineers brings is. There is um, there is a force structure that's already in place. These are civilians that are doing other other contracting jobs, and they're they're supervising construction, and they're working on designs and all that kind of stuff. And they can easily be sort of retasked to set up these temporary medical facilities in suitable locations, old hospitals, you know, possibly like an abandoned, uh, or I shouldn't say abandoned, but a but a currently vacant uh, uh, commercial building, a strip mall type thing, you know, that kind of stuff. Coliseums, all that kind of stuff. Right. So they can they can use their contracting authorities and their professionals that are already in place to rapidly do some of this. Plus, the Corps has an enormous emergency response capability. And so whether you're doing some of the missions that the Corps normally does, like temporary roofing or debris removal or something that you might see after a hurricane comes through, um, doing this temporary facility mission is just a slight variation of the types of emergency response the Corps does anyway. So it's a real good fit. They can reach out to the Corps. They can um, they can put these people that are already in place all around the country on this mission, kind of working together, and uh, deliver results pretty quick. So anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. Um, there's a lot of capability there. Well, I suppose we ought to get on to some fun stuff today. Yeah, I was just thinking uh, th- this is a good transition. So we're kind of talking about some of the impacts that COVID is having on us. And one of the things is, you know, you're not going down to the airport. You're not hanging out in the FBO and catching up with your aviation friends. You're not going to chapter meetings and seeing all your fellow chapter members and hearing their projects. Um, you're just kind of kind of hunkered down. You know, you're, you're having, you know, small conversations with people. You're using Internet forums. But that doesn't have the same ability to kind of scratch that social itch and uh, and connect with all your, your pals out there. So our good friend Robbie Culver pitched an idea and said, hey, why don't we do a virtual Sonics fly-in? And he has been doing 
Robbie's kind of our tech guy. He knows a lot about this type of stuff. And he's been doing meetings on the Zoom app. And this was new to me. I'd never used Zoom. We're talking Zoom like Z-O-O-M, Zoom. You can download it on your computer or tablet or phone or whatever. And um, it's pretty cool. We, uh, we, uh, we tested it out and very easy. You, you download the app. Uh, you establish an account, which only takes just a couple of minutes with your name and email, basically. And... Um, then you would log into somebody's meeting that they would host and you have video teleconferencing. You have a split screen and you can see other participants and it's really a nice little setup. So Robbie is going to provide air traffic control services for our virtual fly-in. So here's all the details. So we're looking at Saturday. That's this Saturday, April 4th, uh, 12 o'clock Central Time. So noon Central Time. That should be so it's not too early for our our uh, Pacific Coast listeners and uh, and even some of the people around the world um, hopefully that will work into their schedules but yeah we're gonna we're gonna do about an hour-long meeting we're gonna uh, we're all gonna connect on the zoom app Robbie is going to direct traffic he'll uh, kick it off with some ground rules and then I thought what we would do is um, we'll just kind of you know give Short updates, you know, again, depending on how many people we have, we only have a few minutes to kind of hit some of the stuff. But what are you doing to kind of stay connected? What are you working on in the shop? You know, take your phone and run out to the hangar and, you know, point at the thing you've been doing in your free time on your project, you know, where you're where you're currently at in your build project or whatever the case may be. But spend a few minutes, connect with everybody, let them know kind of what's on your mind, what's going on. And, uh, and then we'll just kind of go around the horn and um, try to get our, uh, our our aviation socialization done. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, Jeff, I kind of looked at the app. I downloaded it, signed up for it, did my email confirmation. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a chance to link with you yet. It looks like there might be a little bit of restriction on the time frame, though. I think, I, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw 40 minutes. Yeah, that's right. They have different tiers, and the... Ours is going to be limited to 40 minutes because that's the tier of the plan that we will be using. So, no, again, for, for us cheapskates, we're, we're not buying anything. We get 40 minutes. <laughs> right, right. So, but, but the way to make this, I think, the most fun for everyone is think about what you want to say, what you want to show off. Um, it's more than just, hi, my name is, uh, you know, Bob and I'm doing this. It's, you know, you can walk out to your hangar and you can show something or, you know, fondle a part that you've been working on, whatever. Make it, think about what you want to do, what you want to say, how you want to update it, and then be prepared to kind of kick it off. And if and, we blaze or go ahead. John, that's an airplane part you're fondling, okay? Yes. <laughs> he left. We can talk about you it. You do not you do not want me on this podcast. <laughs> so no. It, it, we're 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 gonna drive down one of those little uh Alice in Wonderland wormholes that you don't want to come out of. That's why I was making Uh-oh. sure you understand this airplane parts were fun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and uh you know, Robbie will cover this when we kick it off. But uh, you know, the number one rule is we're not talking politics. So that can you know, you can save the political aspect of, of our our situation for another time and place. We're talking airplanes and, and stuff like that. So it'll be fun and good natured and lighthearted. And also, most importantly, because 
a verdict with no teeth that doesn't carry any weight. Robbie has the ability to put people that don't behave in timeout. He can mute them and put them in the waiting room and give them a little timeout for a few minutes until they behave themselves and then let them back in. So I'm kind of just waiting for him to be able to do that. You know, put somebody in the waiting room and we can all Uh like finger scold them and then let them back in. Robbie's going to put me in before I even get in. So I'm not even going to show up. (laughs) We're we're going to rename it the waiting room to John's room. Yeah, we need to do that just just for for testing purposes. Just to put John in time out, just to make sure it works. I'm I'm gonna do my own. I'm I'm just gonna do my own. We're gonna have the alternate uh, uh, Zoom podcast. <laughs> well, right now, you know, this is the only one that we have scheduled. This Saturday is the only one we scheduled. But depending on how well it's received, we can do more of these. And so we're just gonna keep it very open ended. We're definitely going to have a good time on Saturday, and maybe we'll do some more, especially if we're all in lockdown for another month or so. So we'll see how it goes. Now, I will put this in the show notes because this is a this is kind of an unwieldy thing. But for anybody that doesn't have access to the show notes, here it is. You can pause and replay and all that. You have to go to Zoom, and so download the app and all that. And then when you connect, you go to the website, you know, zoom.com. You can connect. You can search by the meeting ID number. And I'm just going to rattle this off. Again, go to the show notes and click the link. The meeting ID number is 595-392-2944. And that will connect to our Sonics flying. Okay, so there's all the particulars. All this information will be on the show notes, and you can find it there as well. And uh, uh, Mike, um, what, uh, what, pray tell, give us a little sneak peek. What are you going to talk about? What am I going to talk about? Yeah. Uh... You know, I might try to go down to the airport since I'm allowed. Uh, and I maybe I'll just kind of just show the airplane and walk through my hangar and just kind of give a little uh, excerpt of where I'm at and uh, and just the kind of flying I've been doing. And that's it's pretty much uh, nothing much going on with the airplane except the, uh, uh, I don't know, that's about it. No, I can't I think th- of anything else you know, coming up with stuff. Are you going to wear a costume, Mike? Yeah, I'm going to wear a costume. <laughs> No, because Robbio kicked me off. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike. What I was thinking was, it, it's not too late. You can probably trade with a friend and uh, and get a get a trip for Saturday. And then, you know, I wouldn't want you to get in trouble by you know using Zoom in flight. That would be really bad. But you could sneak away into the forward lab and you could do it sitting on the loo. There you go. There you go. I could do that and then just talk. <laughs> uh, hook up to the Wi-Fi and do it from there. <laughs> and you could see the inside of a lab. Of a seven thirty seven. I know. I get worried about that fondling aspect of you. <laughs> we don't want to go there. <laughs> another. Uh, that's going to be another Robbie edit. I mean, I mean, Come I was, on, we got to keep, gonna keep have, it clean, I guys. Couple, I had lunch a couple weeks ago with John, and he wouldn't even touch me. He wouldn't even shake my hand. He goes, "I don't even." He goes, "I don't even touch my wife anymore." <laughs> no, because you've been transmitting this COVID around the country for you know weeks and then we Probably. and then you want to have lunch with me <laughs> of course <laughs> i have to pass it through your company also you know so <laughs> anyhow so no it's uh i don't know i'm just maybe i'll do something like that that's all i can think about doing is just be in my hangar uh, a little blurb you know what where i'm at what i do yeah cool. Uh, that's about all i know i mean other than that i'm i don't because it's 10 o'clock my time so we'll, we'll just uh you know, I can be I can be down there and get ready for it. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I think that'll be a good thing. And plus, I I really just wanted to tease you about doing it in the loo. So. Oh, okay. Well, I, you know what? I wish I could. I wish I was working, but I'm not working. But I could, you know, I could do it. 
I could show everybody how they all wear masks. It's so funny. Uh, uh, the other day I was flying back from uh, Burbank or something. I was in the back. So I went to the back of the airplane. There's eight people up front. I'm in a waiting area for uh, in Burbank Airport for about an hour. All there's probably three or four people, and they all have the face mask on, and the and the and then one guy is wiping his arms with alcohol wipes. And I thought, so I you know I steered clear of all these people, and they all boarded way before me. And we, but you know what? But before they got off the airplane in Las Vegas, I didn't recognize anybody because everything was off. I guess they thought it was safe. <laughs> They had, well, you know, they had, they had all that stuff put away before they even walked off the plane. Yeah, you like flip just, on the air like, recyclers like, and it's good to go. Like just, well, like just California, it was the problem. And once <laughs> they got on the airplane, they were they were safe, right? So, yeah. Anyhow. Oh, well. Yeah, well, when, when you fly overseas, um, they have uh, different types of decontamination procedures, especially for like mosquitoes and things like that. And so they will literally park the airplane out on the on the ramp someplace before you get to the gate. And then they'll have a guy with a little mosquito fogger walking up and down the aisle, pelting you in the face with, you know, bug spray while they decontaminate the airplane. <laughs> and then after that sits for an hour, they, then they roll you into a gate and you can get off. So pretty soon that's what we're going to be doing for COVID. Yeah, you know, I have the masters to breathe that. Just not to breathe it, right? So. <laughs> right. All right. Well, yeah. it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, well let's get into the main discussion, uh, as short as it's probably going to be. Uh, acro ailerons. So I'm going to kick this off with a, a handful of questions here, and then you guys jump in and help me out. Otherwise, I'll just drone on like I, like I tend to do. So um, first question what are acro ailerons? So who wants to take that? <laughs> I'll take it. Um, the acro ailerons basically extend the aileron one rib inboard um, and take away one rib of flap. So if you go with the acro aileron while you're building, you're going to get a bigger aileron and, and less flap. Okay. And, uh, John, just for completeness sake, I went and looked at the plans earlier and just jotted down these dimensions. The standard aileron is 39 inches wide and the flap is 72 inches wide. And if you do the acro aileron, you go to a 56-inch aileron and a 54-inch flap. Okay, so as fun as that is, the important part is the standard aileron is one-third aileron, two-thirds flaps. The acro aileron is pretty much 50-50, half aileron, half flap. So you can see, you lose a little flap, you gain a little aileron. Yep. So then that leads into the next question. Um, why would you possibly want acro ailerons? What are the benefits and maybe the costs of doing this? Well, I have flown both. Mike has the standard ailerons, the, uh, the standard, you know, shorter aileron. And I have the acro. And I've flown both Mike and my plane in both acro. Um, I mean, I've done rolls and, and barrel rolls and aileron rolls with it. The acro ailerons allow you to, uh, you can rotate at 120 degrees per second, whereas the standard ailerons rotate at 90 degrees per second. Yeah, so um, a an increase in the rate that you can roll the airplane. And I went and just poked around YouTube and, and looked at um, a couple of acro videos and one of my own. And uh, you can see it when you're doing an aileron roll with the with the small aileron. It takes you, 
I don't know, four, five, six seconds to do a, a, a complete roll. And with the acro aileron, you're looking at, you know, three to four seconds. So, yeah, there, it's, I, it's a I measurable actually, difference. Yeah, I measured them when I was doing uh, acro testing with Mike's plane. And it was exactly four seconds to do an aileron roll, whereas my plane was uh, three seconds per aileron roll. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's that's the benefit. That's the major hook as to why you might consider it. Um, let's talk about what the what the cost might be. What what do you you know what does it cost you or what do you give up in order to get the acro aileron? Well, I, I think with the uh, the standard ailerons, they're lighter in the touch. So when I'm flying Mike's plane, it's a less less uh, feedback in the ailerons and less force required to make course corrections in the stick, whereas mine requires a little more heavy. It's a heavier stick. So I think those uh, those bigger ailerons do uh, impact your ability to, to hand fly the plane in a very light way. Okay. Um, Mike, what, what's your thought on that? <clears throat> well, I've flown both. I've flown, actually, uh, I've done rolls in in my airplane, I've not, and I've flown John's airplane, but I didn't do any, any rolls or, but I could tell I've done, you know, like steep turns and those kind of things, but it is quite more responsive, but it is heavier. Uh, and that, that could be a possibility of why maybe I fly so straight level and John was wandering all around when he doesn't have his autopilot on. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's all. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's it, Mike. That's it. Nice. He, he talks, he no, talks no. about that little, little Shut up, Gary. Thing. That's it. <laughs> Gary, Gary, that was it. That's it. Yes. I got the big ailerons. I can't I can't keep up with Mike because he's got no uh he's got no ailerons. I got little I got the little ailerons and you got the big ailerons. <laughs> he's just got little trim flaps out there that uh okay. yeah. That's it. Why don't we give us some real world practicality though? Yeah, there there's one other cost and, and that is in the flap. And um you know, obviously, with the smaller flaps, you're going to have uh, less drag available to you know to to use. Now, Gary, I'm going to throw this over to you. Um, what is your thought on the amount of flap available to you with the with the short ailerons, and then maybe relating that to you know is giving up some flap a, a big deal or is it not a big deal? Or I want to hear your thoughts initially. Well, let's just ask you and John, and probably even Mike too. When you were watching me fly my Sonics, what is one of the things that you guys would almost typically comment about on my landings? Gary landing, lands, lands land, slow and turns off quick. Landing short Joe right there. There you go. Very, very Yeah, he short. brings it in at, at full stall and just almost <laughs> dies every time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you don't see me doing any bouncing or anything else, right? So it just comes in and just plants it at a very wait wait wait. Do you speed. say he doesn't tigger down the runway like Jeff? Well, <laughs> hey, I didn't, hey, I didn't uh, say like Jeff. I'm just saying I don't. But <laughs> you can throw in any other barbs that you wish. <laughs> well, well, you know, if uh, John, if if your heavier ailerons screw you up in the air, then my shorter flaps screw me up on landing. So it's all the there same. You there you go. <laughs> so you know, well, you, first, I had the, you I do. Had, well, Gary, did you have the? The uh, acro, or did you have the standard? No, I had the standard. And I was about to say, when I had just received my kit, almost immediately after I received my kit, 
is when they announced the the acro aileron version to it. And so I kind of hem hawed about it, whether or not I wanted to redo something different, get bigger flap skins, and I decided to go ahead and build with the standard kit. That being said, I'll, I'll just give you my two cents on it. And again, almost everything that we do is just a matter of personal preference. And that's absolutely perfectly fine. It's what fits you, what meets your need, and scratches your itch. Uh, when I was flying my standard aileron Sonics, I thoroughly enjoyed the control feel of the Sonics. I have not yet flown another aircraft that gave me that such joy of, of light-fingered finesse to fly an airplane as that Sonics did with the standard ailerons. So when we talk about the roll rate, um, it may be something that you might sense between, you know, a 90 and, you know, a, a 120 second roll rate, whatever it is. But let's put it in terms. If you said you measured the difference, 1,001, that was the difference in your roll rate to complete a roll, correct? 1,001. When I think of it in those terms, I'm thinking that's not overly stellar to me. But when I look at what I can do with those barn door flaps and coming in in a controlled circumstance and, and meeting specific requirements for a very short landing if I needed to do so, my personal preference and again, talking about the way the aircraft flies in general would be to keep the standard ailerons with the very, very light controls and the ability to land very, very short, very controlled. Yeah, Gary, I, I think you kind of hit it right there. So if you're trying to decide, you know, what, what, what do I want to do? You know, well, you have to ask yourself, what do you want out of the deal? What is your mission? What are you trying to achieve? If a, a, a greater roll rate, you know, more aerobatic ability, whatever you want to, you know, look at it. If that is really important to you, then it might be worth the heavier feel that you have all the time because it's not just flying aerobatics. It's not just at those really high airspeeds. At all airspeeds, the stick is going to be heavier in roll with the big elements. It just is. There's no power steering on these things. You have more surface in it and it resists moving greater than the standard aileron. So if if you're willing to pay the price in a little bit heavier stick, you're going to get snappier roll. However, if you're not doing a lot of aerobatics or if you're doing no aerobatics, it doesn't really, it's not really worth giving up that really, really just beautiful light feel that, that the Sonics is known for. And that's kind of the way I look at it. On the other side of it, the flap, if, uh, if you are going to be flying in an area where your short field performance is important to you or you want to be able to drop it into you know a tight area having that extra flap gives you an extra tool in your in your toolkit that you can use as you need to to uh you know to make the airplane perform you're not going to have that tool with the short flap on the other hand many sonics builders will tell you that even with the big aileron or the big flaps they hardly ever go to full flap on a, on a normal landing. They always kind of use the first notch or maybe that second notch that everybody seems to add in the flap. And they do, they rarely go to full because when you put full flaps on, that's a lot of drag and you're coming down fairly quick. So it's kind of this trade off. 
you know, are you really going to use the extra flap a lot? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, are you going to use the extra aileron roll rate? Maybe, maybe not. But that's kind of the way I would look at it. If you're not going to do aerobatics a lot and you just want to go around and fly and enjoy it, maybe the standard aileron and the big flap is the way to go. Well, Jeff, you know, when we talk about flap settings, I know I've, I've seen and heard the same thing in actually many different aircrafts about pilots not using full flaps. And, it, of course, I think all, a lot of this is, is airframe specific as far as the general recommendations. But my recommendation for flying the Sonics was, and I did, and I did the intermediate flap, so I had a three-step notch on my on my control system. Uh, I would almost always use the first and second notches, you know, first downwind perhaps to get my attitude settled a bit, second on base. But I would never pull that third notch, my full flaps, until I was almost over the numbers or right before that. And by doing that, that gave me a little bit of everything. It gave me the traditional control and the, and the reasonable sync rates that most people expect or are, are comfortable managing uh, without getting too excessive. And then pull that last notch of flaps. And that's when we were really, I, I felt like I got the really sweet spot uh, of, of descent rate as well as reducing my float tendency and being able to make consistently short landings. Yeah, that last notch is like throwing on the brakes, and, I, and I've seen you land, and it definitely shows. You don't tend to float down the runway at all. So I do encourage people to use all the, all the <clears throat> flaps on landings, uh, but just be a little judicious, and, and timing is critical, I think, for that without having to add a lot of extra power. And Gary, um, to put it in perspective, on my airplane with the short flap, I, I, my normal procedure is, you know, I'm, I'm in the pattern, I'm slowing down, I do my power reduction, I'll beam the numbers, I, I slow below 100 so I can get the first notch of flaps on, and at 100, I drop the first notch of flaps. And it's an easy pull, there's nothing, there's nothing, no problem in doing that because the pull force is still relatively moderate. moderate. And then as I slow on, on base and getting ready to turn final, I'll usually go to full flaps at that point. And I'm maybe... 80 miles an hour or 70 or somewhere in that range. And again, the pull force at 80 miles an hour to go to full flap on the short flap is not that much. At that same speed, the pull force to go to full flap with the big flaps is still fairly substantial. I mean, you got to put some muscle into it and uh, you got to, you got to really kind of want to do it. And I think that's the reason why people or a lot of pilots don't use it. Uh, is because they're trying to deploy the full flaps at too high of a speed and too soon. And that's the reason I'd like to recommend they wait a little bit longer on final. Uh, they need to get a little bit better on, on, on judging power reductions earlier anyway, not, not to try to save everything and, and just drop it in like a parachute at the last moment. And so if you get your speeds right, deploying that last notch of flaps is no more difficult than deploying the first notch of flaps. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And you should look at it in terms of, yeah, the, the maximum speed to deploy the flaps is 100 miles an hour. But, but that doesn't mean that you're, you're effectively going to pull full flaps close to 100 miles an hour. You're going to pull the first notch, you know, maybe below 100. And then you're going to pull the second notch as you continue to decelerate. And you're going to pull that last notch when you're getting, you know, on short final. And the, and the forces are going to be moderate. And you're not going to have uh, a big pitch excursion. Yeah, and I think if people would watch their airspeeds and, and the pull forces and start really saying, well, can I go five miles an hour slower before I try my next notch and see what the difference is, I think it'll really improve 
their ability to, to feel the aircraft, which is the way I like to fly, rather than just always strictly by numbers, but you feel the aircraft. And as they do that, I think in, in general, the, their entire technique will improve. Mm-hmm. Now, Mike, you have a little bit different setup. You have right. electronic, you know, electric the flaps electric with flap, a linear yes. actuator. Right. Now, describe your process. How do you normally use flaps in just a typical landing? Well, I'm just, I'm like pretty much like you. I mean, I, I get gaps below 100. I'm probably, you know, um, at the end of downwind, I just, when I get below 100, I do the first notch and see where I'm at in the pattern. And then I just kind of, basically, I could just kind of, mo- I can, I could just trigger them in as I'm coming according to what my, what my en- energy level is, so to speak, kind of like a Gary thing, but I don't like to do it at the last minute. I'd rather get lined up on final and get, get it nice and close and tighter. And then just kind of, I, I just kind of gradually put them all the rest of the way in. The only time I don't really use uh, full flaps is just if there's uh, any kind of, uh, if it's gusty or if it's some crosswind, I'll, uh, I'll leave, I'll go about half and three quarters way down, but I'm just kind of like, I have a little tape kind of like the B model guys do. I or the B model at the factory. I have a little piece of tape. I saw that where I could tell where my takeoff setting is. And then I, I use that as my first notch setting. And then I just kind of bring them down from there just visually, you know, uh, as I'm coming in through the landing roll. But I basically, I, I'll have them all in before about four or 500 feet. I just like to get it all set up earlier. And, um, you know, I got, I'm the jet jockey guy, you know, so I'm kind of like trying to get a little stable, so to speak. Yeah, but I, but this is how the B models are all going to work too. You know, B models Correct. all have electric flaps. And so it, what, what you're saying is a normal landing for you is going to end up with full flaps on final. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, I might be closer in, you know, but I mean, when I'm turning base, you know, I just basically I'm judging your energy level all the way around kind of from from uh, off the end of the downwind into base into final and as i'm if i'm coming around final and i'm and, and I'm, I'm in my slot you know if i'm half flaps i'll i might leave them there but most of the, most of the time i'll i'll uh, i'll start just as i'm lined up on the runway and i got my power set or my power off let's say i'll just i'll just modulate to fl- i'll bring the flaps down the rest of the way and then to control my uh my aim point so to speak yeah. Now, Mike, I, I really like the way your plane flies like that. And, and John, you know, yours as well. You don't have the distraction of trying to grab the flap handle and manipulate it. You, know, right. you can, you know, everything's going just perfect. And you think, hey, it's so easy. All I got to do is reach up and flip the lever and I can put the rest of the flaps on. And then I get slowed down that last little bit. I have the slower touchdown speed and the short rollout. Why wouldn't I do that? And so I think having that electric flaps is really super convenient for that because you don't have to worry about muscle and anything. You just reach up there and, and dump the rest of them in and you're good. Yeah, it's just a trim issue. You know, if you, if you had, depending on what kind of trim you have in your airplane, it's just a, it's just a, uh, that's what changes, you know, because that's, that's where you notice it. Yeah, I, I look at it as more of a because I'm on the B model now, and actually my A model had the electric flaps also, but I look at it as trim. So I'm in downwind. I kick in a little bit of flap um, by pushing the momentary switch down to maybe 10 degrees. You don't, you know, you kind of look at it like Mike said he has some markers out there, but you know, it's like uh, one, two, three is the the thing. And then as I come on to base, then I kick in another two seconds of flaps and then two more seconds and I'm at full and the actuator is completely extended. Um, 
And then I also have my my switch is if I'm doing a go around, I can kick it up and it completely retracts the flaps um, without having to hold it. So it's a momentary down and on uh, if you push up. Mm -hmm. Okay. I do not land as slow as Gary. It, but I don't have the acro flap. I, I have the acro flaps, not the standard flaps. <clears throat> and Gary flies it right above stall, and I don't like doing that. So he's he's nuts. Well, I yeah, I am. I agree. Um, but again, we talked about feel, and and Mike actually alluded to this a little bit too. When we talk about for you guys that have got the electronic flaps, how how long do you hold your 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 flap switch to engage? Um, I really encourage you to start looking at, at your pitch. You know, that first 10 degrees or so, 15 degrees, if you're really cognizant, you're going to see that your nose is going to pitch down because you've actually increased the camber of your of your wing by deploying the flaps. And we all know that's what increases our lift. So if you'll do that just to the point where you get that, that first nose down pitch, that's where you can stop for your your first quote first notch of flaps in an electronic electronically actu actuated system. Would you agree with that, Mike? Yes, I would. Okay. I think it's you're exactly right. You, it does yeah. push over so slightly. Yeah. The yeah. next thing too is you're coming on base, and of course you can kind of use your 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 next section of flaps to help you help decide whether or not you're a little high. You might want to try to increase your sink rate a little bit. You won't get that initial noticeable pitch change though. Uh, but as you turn final, and for you guys that really want to start look at trying to get your landings a little bit shorter, uh, first of all, you got to remember everything is pretty much related to your approach speeds. But, you know, speed is speed is kind of hard to, to relatively change and, and look at. Another clue for you is to look out over your wingtip, right or left, whichever you want you want to do. But as you're setting your final pitch and your final speed, if you get so that you look at, at your wing and you can possibly visualize this, that the wing is level with the horizon out to the side. So now that way you're not in a negative pitch, which is what most people do in traditional general aviation aircraft. They pitch down and you can look at the wing relative to the horizon. And you can see it's several degrees below the horizon as far as the leading edge because they're diving to the runway. Well, that diving to the runway is gonna significantly increase your, your landing roll and the amount of runway that required to, to, land, to land on a short runway. If you pitch so that your wing is level to the horizon and then use power to adjust your, your sink rates, that will result in remarkably shorter landing rolls and being able to land in, in, in more controlled manner with less float because you're not diving to the runway and then all of a sudden trying to dissipate that energy and excess speed during your level or flare and eating up valuable runway and potentially resulting in the bunny hops. <laughs> and I, and I, you know, you hear that, Jeff? Yeah. You hear that, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I but he's it. he's got the baby flaps. That's why that could be why. Uh, well, I have baby flaps. I don't. I don't play. Yeah, it doesn't. But, make you know, it, but if I you watch your pitch you. attitude with your yeah. wing to the horizon on the final segment, so that you're not diving to the runway but controlling the, your descent rate with power, it'll give you a remarkably yeah. 
shorter field landing characteristics. And I yes. saw both you know, airplanes. It's both airplanes. To me, John's airplane didn't land a whole a whole lot smoke. Mine lands probably I don't know, maybe five miles an hour slower than than what John's might land. It's it's pretty. It's not very much difference really. Yeah. And you're you're well, used to that Jeff too. So right. I've noticed the uh, I, I I fly a Pawnee and it has tiny little flaps, but uh, um, the the effect of the flaps does help a lot on bringing it down slowly. But, um, you know, it, it's just a matter of just getting a feel for the airplane and what the energy is and, and how it's going to respond. Yeah. So I guess two things here. Um, so we're talking about the, you know, the, the bouncing around on landing. Now I want to set the record straight here because I've given this a lot of thought and I'm not at all defensive about it. <laughs> the only times I've had a lot of that, that pitch bouncing, that oscillation, the tigger is when I've had me and Isaac in the airplane. I've had a full load of camping gear in the back. And I'm coming in off the, the last leg of the cross country. So I'm at a very aft CG and it's gotten, it's gotten to the point now that I, that I understand no. it and I can anticipate it with the aft no. CG. I'm, I'm bumping up against that. It becomes much more uh, prone to bouncing. And so you really got to watch that excess energy. And it's the same thing, Gary, you're talking about. It's just in that situation, if you don't nail it exactly at the right speed, Everybody, and I mean even your closest friends, are going to harass you mercilessly and hurt your feelings. Jeff, I only see you doing the Tigger bounce when I watch you land. So it happens every time. <laughs> you know, you, you actually, you actually you. filmed it. You actually filmed it yourself in Oshkosh that one year. You know, one year know, you, and, you so and Isaac funny. were going. So, so you did the same thing basically as you did at Reclaw, but it's just. You probably were in that same situation. Yeah, yeah. FCG. Yeah, it was his normal landing. Well, well it's, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I got to have a coherent story here. It's yeah. good for my self-image, so Speed I'm going to stick to it. Control is 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 preeminent. <laughs> now, you know, Gary, just to put all this in perspective, it makes it sound like you know, oh my gosh, with the short flaps, I'm never going to be able to get this thing on the ground, and that's not the case at all. No, and so I'm just going to use. My airport, as an example, Roosterville is 2,500 feet, and it's got trees at both ends. And I, I routinely, you know, I'm down and stopped and turned around before I get to the halfway point. So, you know, we're not talking about, you know, eating up tons and tons of pavement based on whether you chose the big flap or the small flap. It, it's it's a noticeable difference, but you're still going to have a very capable airplane that's going to get in and out of places without any problem. So I don't want anybody to think that we're we're saying that you know you're going to pay a huge penalty. These are just the nuances that you'll notice. Speed is everything. That's yeah. right. Speed's life. That's right. Yeah, Mike flies strictly by uh, what a little I know. I understand Mike flies by numbers, right? Uh, but yours is all well calculated, and every everyone knows exactly what the planes are going to do with the weights that what what you're flying at. Right. Uh, right. Unfortunately, us and the little guys, uh, we have to feel our way more along the lines, which is what I've always advocated, getting to understand what the aircraft feels like. And that's why I've always been a big, big proponent of prolonged ability to do slow flight, uh, to do long, prolonged stalls, you know, the, the falling leaf kind of stall scenario. 
uh, getting used to what the aircraft really, really feels like at slow regime right there on the verge at a reasonable altitude so that you can instantly recognize it before any alarms go off or anything else. And it's just a slight unloading of back pressure. There's nothing like jamming the stick forward. You just relax your fingers a little bit and the plane just instantly flies and you'll recover with no one ever noticing anything, even though you noticed it. And Gary, that's probably the single most uh, beneficial skill that, that we can all go out and do. It, it's going to help keep you out of trouble. It'll make it so that your landings are good and predictable. It saves wear and tear on the airplane, and it'll keep you alive when the distractions are high and you know you really got to make the airplane perform. My two cents. That's right. I agree. All right. Well, the last thing I want to talk about is um, what do you have to do to modify the airplane to accept the acro ailerons? And so, John, I think you or Gary, you you alluded to this when you got your kit. So going back on the Sonics press release archive, the first press release for the Sport Acro was in 2007. And as part of that press release, they said that in early 2008, they started shipping with every kit what they call the universal Universe. aileron yeah. skin. Correct. Yeah. So, so the idea is you're going to get an aileron skin that is long enough to make the big aileron. And if you want the standard aileron, then you just cut it down and discard the part you cut away. And, of course, the flap skin is long enough to make the big flap. And so with, with these, with the long skins for either surface, you can cut them to fit one configuration or another. And so that's the way every kit, including the B models, are shipped now. Yeah. If you look in your plan sheets, you're going to see all those uh, acro aileron mods at the back of your wing plan section. Again, in the drawing tree numbering scheme, they were all added down the road. And so they're all going to be at the back where they had uh, free space to slip them in. And um, it's a very simple modification. John, you pointed this out. You're simply going to just cut it back by by a bay, uh, and and that span is going to go either in the aileron or it's either going to go in the flap. And if you put the big aileron, then you have an extra aileron rib. If you have the big flap, you have an extra flap rib. And it's pretty simple. There's not a whole lot to it. So, John, if somebody wanted to convert from a standard aileron setup to an acro aileron setup, how would they go about doing that? No, go buy a, a plane that's already built that way. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you uh, you convert it. It's not worth the effort. It, you build it this way, or it's not this way. So, if you have one that isn't acro and you want one acro, go sell your plane and go buy one that is. <laughs> but here's the difference. Remember, this is the difference between acro and standard in a roll. One thousand one. No, 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 Gary. It's. 1001, 1002, 1003, 1004. That's a roll. If you want to do a. No, the difference uh, between the two is 1001. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The difference between the two, 1001. Yeah, but I, I look cooler because I can I can do if if you and I are going out and you have the old uh, <laughs> old granny acros and I have the uh, or the, the ailerons and I have the really fancy you know spiff ailerons, I'm gonna do two rolls around you every uh, what is it five six minutes? Rolls? Every five? No, minutes. not five minutes. <laughs> it's gonna be quick. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, 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 it's all a matter of what you want. And if yeah. you want to get out there and throw it around the sky and that's important, then build the acryl ailerons. I personally I just, like I, my I, I go back again flying that, that Sonics with the standard ailerons. It was just blissful with, with a light touch. It was just incredible how much you could connect with the aircraft. Yeah. No, Gary Gary flew his just fine. I, I, I think it's kind of neat to have the quicker ailerons, but it, it is not necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I agree. John, maybe I, I set this up, you know, wrong. I was not suggesting that people ought to race out there and tear their wing apart to go, uh, you know, convert from one to the other. It was more about, uh, you know, what all would be involved. Well, modifications to the wing itself are practically zero. It uses the same aileron pushrod, the same bell crank. It's still, you know, the, the, the short aileron pushrod still connects at the same location. The only thing that's different on the wing is where the hinges are to support, you know, the longer or shorter surface. Yeah, you'd have to extend the, or uh, I, I guess you'd have to, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about that, but you'd the have hinges. to put more hinge yeah. and uh, cut out hinge where other things were and then yeah no it's not worth it if you got out yeah, no. if you got standard ailerons live with them you're fine yeah so um if you are building and you're trying to decide uh there is really no practical difference in the amount of effort required to do one or the other there is one interesting thing um you know they they use the same uh mass counterbalance and so, you know, there's a very specific procedure in the plans about how to balance your ailerons. And when you go to balance your acro ailerons, you think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to need more lead to balance this thing out. And what you find is that, yeah, there's enough lead there already. I just didn't maybe drill quite as much out. The difference in mass between the big aileron and the small aileron is, is just, you know, minuscule. And you still have enough lead to balance it out as well. That would be my suggestion, my thought, too, based on what I received. Yeah. And, you know, like John said, uh, it's not worth the hassle of trying to convert one to the other. Uh, however, if you wanted to, hey, there's nothing that stops you. You could do it. So, Well, it's a nice COVID project. Right. There you go. Exactly. There you go. I suppose you could, uh, you know, you could fly it for a couple of years one way and then uh, swap it and do it the other way. So. Sure. All right. Well, did we miss any major aspects to the decision making or the pros and cons and all that? Or did we did we nail everything? I thought it was pretty good. I thought okay. we nailed everything. Then let's just let's just conclude this by the around the horn vote. And I think John, I think uh, I think you and I probably I'm going to guess are going to vote to keep the acro ailerons. Uh, is that right? You know, the only reason I would say keep the acro is symmetrically, it looks right. You got half of the wing is aileron, half of it is flap. So that's the right way to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I vote for acro because I just, I like mine. Even though it does feel a little bit heavier in flight, uh, I don't mind that at, at all. And I, I like the snappy aerobatics and all that. Um, so I'm going to say acro, Yes. And uh, Gary, I think I know which way you're voting. Well, you might be surprised. You know, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm just saying with the traditional and standard, I was able to do almost everything that I wanted to do with a negligible, to my opinion, negligible difference in the aileron roll rate. 
Uh, again, if we talk about the difference between the two, it's one second according to what you guys have measured. Uh, if I were going to build a new one, though, I would probably go with the acro ailerons because, again, I think that I can manage my energy just as well with the, with the smaller spanned flaps to accomplish what I need to just because I'm, I feel like I'm very comfortable with, with slow flight regime. Uh, I could be proven wrong, but, you know, that I, I, it wouldn't necessarily discount the, the possibility of going acro for another build. But, you know, sort of, I'd much prefer to have it be more like, a, you know, an extra 360 kind of roll rate. Now, if that were the case, then it would be absolutely. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. And, uh, Mike, uh, what's your yeah. final conclusion? Acro, you yes, or, I, or standard, yes? I, well, I, I like standard. I mean, because I'm used to it now. I got about 220 hours on my airplane. Uh, but I've flown on... And I see the other side of the equation where it, it is kind of fun to snap around pretty good. And, and it did flight flew. Uh, the, the approach speeds and everything were very similar. I mean, so, but if, but safety, if you're looking for just safety and just like Gary said, just uh, all uh, the airplane that is uh, paves, it's, you're better off uh, with the standard. You know, guys, this Get is crazy to sound a lot. Out there, you know, you go ahead. Yeah, this is starting to sound a lot like the Y-tail or the standard tail discussion. Yeah, there's a little bit oh, of pro sure. here, a little bit yeah. of con here, blah, blah, well, blah. And it all comes down to well, build the one you like because you're not going to have a no, bad one. No, there is no benefit to anything oh, but sorry, the Y-tail. Sorry, John, what, what did you say? You were on mute. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> no, no, John, you're yeah. still on mute. No, no, I, I can't hear you. If you yeah, want to be cool... <laughs> You want to be cool, you just get the wide tail. I mean, why would you build a standard tail unless you're really an old fogey? Come on. You know, I, I was, when I was flying with John, it was like, it was like fly, you know, flying in with some gorgeous blonde in your airplane, and you get out of the airplane, and they all swarm the blonde, okay? When I flew with John, no. they would swarm his airplane. They would swarm his airplane, yeah. and they wouldn't even look at mine. Yeah, the blondes. So the blondes. Yeah, the blondes would actually go to the blondes. But no, it's uh, they. It was noticeably they would go to John first, and then go, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, we're a YX guys. I mean, we're just cool. Come on. And they fly the same. I mean, I always kind of thought they were going over to look at the plane to make sure it was still apart after the landing they thought something must have fallen off. <laughs> hey that wasn't jeff jeff was not flying my plane <laughs> hey i've never lost parts on the runway so hey um you know oh just saying oh no <laughs> <laughs> that's another podcast <laughs> there you go there you go yeah well you know uh john uh you're the one who destroyed some wheel pants with your superior landing skills so you know ah, you're not blameless ah, in this Oh, there's another go again. Got it down. <laughs> All right. I guess we're done beating each other to death for the night. We got to save something <laughs> this time. Yeah, I know. That's we'll right. save it all for Saturday. So there I'm just going to go. say it like this. Here's my here's my uh, my advice that I'm going to offer to everybody when they say, "Should I build the Acura ailerons? Or is that the right move?" I'm going to say, "Yes, you absolutely should build the Acura ailerons." But then again, you absolutely should build the standard ailerons because they're pretty darn cool too. And I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> I don't think you can go wrong either way. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, I think that'll wrap this one up, and I'll just do the closeout here. And uh, before we do that, though, I I do want to do a quick shout-out for the 2020 Midwest Sonics Fly-In. So this is coming up the first Saturday in June, June 6th at Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, This fly-in is still on. We are still planning to hold it. Hope to see everybody there, assuming that, of course, you know, the the flying uh, calendar is not further bumped by by all this lockdown stuff. So we'll just kind of wait and see how it goes. Hopefully, I I think we're in pretty good shape that um, things will be back to normal by then. So we'll see. June 6th, put it on your calendar, and we'll know more as we get a little closer. And with that, I'm just going to say thanks, guys. Uh, Always a pleasure, even though, you know, I come here and I leave and I've got black eyes and my feelings are hurt. (laughs) And uh, I, you know, I got to sulk off in the corner and think, man, I got to go fly more because obviously I need to practice. And the only time you guys, you know, hit me is when I'm not on because I listen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I have that's to always on, the penalty you pay to defend myself <laughs> Mike, Mike we love you we just love you man come on it's 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 me brotherly bus, love threw me into the wingtip bus I mean I'm just a man I just went what the heck is that you know <laughs> <laughs> now I'm gonna have to go up and apologize to that guy you know <laughs> right <laughs> All right, guys. Well, for everybody listening, you can find us on the web at sonicsflight.com. You can find the show notes with the link to the Zoom meeting and all those details, like I mentioned, sonicsflight.com slash seven zero. Subscribe to it on, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcasting app, or just uh, go to the webpage and listen to it right off of the web. Send us an email if you have a topic suggestion, or, uh, you know, you can hit us up in person on our virtual Sonics fly-in. If you have feedback you want to give it to us in person, blast away, because we'll all be on on Saturday. And with that, I'm going to say thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and everybody be safe. Hey, man. Hi, guys. See you, man. See you. Stay safe. Views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command.